Hello and welcome to my Discipleship Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Chu, and each episode is designed to build your faith and help you discover your purpose in life. Now, enjoy today's message. Ephesians 4.12 says, Their purpose is to prepare God's people to serve and to build up the body of Christ. In 2004, my wife Melissa and I co-founded a global ministry with a mission to encourage and equip the body of Christ. Most of our ministry efforts have been outside of the United States and mainly in developing nations or what global ministry experts now call the majority world. The majority world means that most nations do not live in the same economic or social standards of a first world country. Our core messages are foundational kingdom principles to help individuals, families, churches, and business leaders grow in Christ and to persevere in times of adversity. Over the years, we have seen tremendous fruit in the lives of believers and churches and leaders in foreign nations. A few years ago, our eyes were opened to the fact that believers and churches in the United States were in the same desperate need of the same messages we were teaching in foreign nations. The church in the United States of America has financial wealth, technology, freedom of religion, and many other advantages than the majority world. Then I remember reading in the book of Revelations chapter 3 and verse 1. It says, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. In Revelations 3 and verse 17, it says, Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched and miserable. Finally, one of our spiritual advisors, who is a well-known international ministry and best-selling author, he challenged me to minister more in the United States of America. He believed the messages that we have successfully preached overseas were relevant and needed in the body of Christ in the United States of America. We meet people here in the United States of America and in our own city that are discontent with the local church and disconnected from the body of Christ. I'm talking about good people that say they love God, but they don't read their Bible or pray on a consistent basis. In fact, Many people that work for a ministry or who run their own ministry do not belong or attend a local church. Many believers and ministers have quit the faith because of challenges in life, tragedies, disappointments, bitterness, and the list goes on. Melissa and I are dedicated to prepare God's people to serve, to build up the body of Christ, as it says in Ephesians 4.12 and to equip believers to stand firm in the faith, as it says in 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 13. So why this book? God has entrusted me with kingdom-inspired messages, and it's my honor to serve the body of Christ. The purpose of this book is to provide you essential kingdom principles, practical examples, and personal lessons I have learned over the years in order to help you stand firm and continue in the faith as a follower of Jesus Christ. 
It is my prayer that the messages in this book, along with the Holy Spirit, will help you in whatever season you are in to fight the good fight and finish your race and keep the faith, as it says in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 7. Immovable. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 58 says, Stand firm, let nothing move you. Paul repeatedly reminds the church to guard ourselves because many believers have and would wander or stray from the faith. 1 Timothy 4 and verse 1 says, Now the Spirit expressively says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 10 says, Some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through many sorrows. And 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 4 says, They will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Stand firm. Let's begin by focusing on the first part of this verse, stand firm. In the New King James Version, it says, Be steadfast. The word steadfast means to be strong, unwavering, dependable. It also means to be reliable or to be firm in your allegiance. Your life will be an encouragement to others of God's faithfulness as you stand firm when everything in your life seems to be going downhill. Let nothing move you. Then the scripture encourages us to be immovable, unmovable. Don't be shaken or let nothing move you from serving the Lord. I really like that word immovable, as I can picture in my mind a massive rock that is absolutely immovable. That means to be incapable of being influenced by our feelings or by people. Too often we know what to do or what not to do, but we let our feelings or people override what the Spirit of God is saying. Going to church. For example, it's Sunday morning and you're getting ready for church. Your children say, they don't want to go to church today. You know what? The parents are the head of the household. So even though your kids don't feel like going to church, you can tell them, get dressed and get in the car. We are going to church. As long as my children are living in my house, eating my food, and drinking my milk, they will obey our house rules. I am not to be influenced by my feelings or by the feelings of my beautiful children. Create and nurture the mindset that you are incapable of being moved from following and serving Jesus. You are determined that it doesn't matter what trouble comes your way or how you are feeling that day. You are not going to be moved from your relationship with the Lord or from obeying Him. I mentioned earlier in this book that I have been a Christian since 1991 and because of moving several times, I have been a member of a few different churches. I am sad to report that three of the churches I attended suffered through difficult times as a result of a pastor on staff falling to sexual immorality. One of those churches no longer exists. Now I pray for these two former pastors that they submit and allow the Lord to completely restore them. God still has a plan and a destiny for them. 
even though they have made some mistakes. Unfortunately, many people who were involved in these two churches are no longer connected to a local church because they were deeply wounded by the mistakes of their pastor. But the Bible says, let nothing move you. That's 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 58. Even if your pastor makes a mistake, let nothing move you, my friends. Even if your spouse or your children make a mistake, let nothing move you. Don't let the mistakes of people move you from following God. Psalms 118 and verse 8 says, It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. And in Psalm 41 and verse 9, it says, Even my best friend, the one who I trusted completely, the one who shared my food, has turned against me. Our emotions and feelings are part of our human nature and a gift from God. But we don't let them rule over us. Each one of us will be hurt in life. We will be offended. Our emotions, or even the more volatile emotions of our small children, will at times rise up and try to move us off the path that God has put before us. Paul was immovable. The Apostle Paul knew firsthand about going through difficult times but he made a decision to be immovable. He could have let his feelings dictate his actions as a result of the disappointments from people or the physical pain he endured. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23-27, through 27, I have been in prison more frequently, been flogged or beaten more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times, I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have gone often without food. I have been cold and naked. Paul definitely knew about hardships, yet he encourages us to stand firm, be steadfast, be strong, be firm in your allegiance. This was actually a fulfillment of the first prophecy about Paul. Remember in Acts 9, the Lord speaks to another disciple about Paul saying, He is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and to the children of Israel, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. That's in Acts 9 verses 15 and 16. Now, how would you like a prophecy like that? We all like the nice, encouraging prophecies, but are we prepared for the challenges that the Lord allows us to endure? I once heard a story about a prophetic minister who had come to town and he started giving words of personal prophecy. People lined up around the building waiting to receive their prophecy. When he came to the fourth person, a young lady, he said, your husband 
is not here at church because tonight he is in a hotel room down the street with another woman. And when he had said that, people started getting out of the prophecy line. Key Principle As citizens of the kingdom of God, we must stand firm in the faith when the challenges of life hit you. Don't let the circumstances of people lead you away from following Jesus. It says in Colossians 1 and verse 23, But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the insurance you have received when you heard the good news. Live to forgive. It says in Acts 24 and verse 16, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense towards God and men. Being angry at God or holding bitterness towards someone that hurt you will hinder your relationship with God. If you live on this earth and breathe air, you will have many opportunities to experience offense, hurt, hatred, and betrayal. Jesus said that offense and hatred in the church would be two of the signs of the last days. When the disciples asked Jesus for the signs of the last days, Jesus said, And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. That's Matthew 24 and verse 10. And then it says in Luke 17 and verse 1, Offenses will come, Jesus said. It is impossible that no offenses should come. But holding offense and unforgiveness towards a person or a situation is a very dangerous ploy of the enemy. Jesus makes it clear that we must forgive others if we want to receive forgiveness. It says here in Matthew 6, verses 14 and 15, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Does that mean it's easy to do? Of course not. You may be reading this right now and thinking, but you don't know what they did to me, or you don't know what I've been through. And you are right, I don't. But Jesus does, and he still asks you to forgive. What's more, he will give you the strength, wisdom, and courage to do it if you ask him. Remember that forgiving someone doesn't mean that what they did or didn't do was okay, or that it was your fault. It just means you are not holding it against them anymore. It means that you are setting yourself free. Remember also how much you have been forgiven in Christ. It says in Colossians 3 and verse 13, Forgive as the Lord forgave you. I have been serving in ministry since 1996, and I have done my best to apply this principle, live to forgive, in overcoming many trials and challenges with fellow Christians, co-workers, and leaders in my life. It's never easy, but it's always worth it. So the next time you're in a situation where you have been mistreated or misunderstood, decide in your heart to live, to forgive. Pray and ask the Lord to help you so that you can stand firm in the faith and be able to endure to the end. So how do we live to forgive? Number one, pray for those who cause the offense. Pray that God will show you how to love the person who has offended you. Pray blessings and God's best for their life and their family. 
It says in Matthew 5 and verse 44, pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Number two, overlook the situation. The key is to see that person as God sees them and believe the best for them. It says in Proverbs 19, 11, His glory is to overlook a transgression. Proverbs 17 and verse 9 says, He who covers and forgives an offense seeks love. Finally, in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 7, Love is ever ready to believe the best of every person. Number three, go to the person who has offended you in love. Approach him or her in humility and work towards reconciliation. Matthew 18 and verse 15 says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. Finally, number four, bring a gift. Do something nice for the person who has offended you. This often helps break down walls of resistance to create an atmosphere of love that allows healing to take place. Matthew 5 and verse 44 says, But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you. Key Principle Every day we have opportunities to be offended by someone or to offend someone. We must do our best to live to forgive. Romans 12 and verse 8 says, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Stay connected. Acts 2 and verse 42 says, They spent their time learning from the apostles, and they were like family to each other. They also broke bread and prayed together. God is three persons in one perfect Godhead. He embodies relationships. He created mankind to display Him to creation. We were created from community to be in community together with Him. Jesus established and blessed His church as a collective community of the faithful, and the New Testament repeatedly refers to believers as a unit that cannot function except together. None of us can stand firm in the faith alone. We were never intended to. 1 Corinthians 12 Verses 12 and 13 say, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given one Spirit to drink. I am so thankful for the people God has placed in my life to help me stand firm in the faith so I can endure to the end. Many Christians and ministers get in trouble when they separate themselves from the body of Christ. The Bible says, He who separates himself seeks his own desire. He quarrels against all sound wisdom. That's Proverbs 18 and verse 1. So we need to stay connected to the body of Christ in order to stand firm. The way we stay connected is by regularly attending and participating in the life of a local church. The local church is where we gather together to worship Jesus, hear the word of God, and encourage our family in Christ. 
The Bible instructs us on the importance of going to church. It says in Hebrews 10 and verse 25, Some people have gotten out of the habit of meeting for worship, but we must not do that. We should keep on encouraging each other, especially since you know that the day of the Lord's coming is getting closer. We must also spend time with Christians beyond our weekend worship service who will help us fulfill our destiny. The Bible says, He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. That's Proverbs 13 and verse 20. If you stay connected with the right people, they will push you towards heaven. But if you stay connected with the wrong people, they will pull you away from heaven. Galatians 3 and verse 1 says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? There is wisdom in both knowing whom to spend time with and whom to limit your time with. True believers will encourage you, equip you, and push you toward your calling and destiny in Christ. Key principle, if you show me your friends, I can show you your destiny. Proverbs 14 and verse 7 says, Stay away from a fool, for you will not find knowledge on their lips. So how do we stay connected? Number one, seek God daily. The Bible says in Proverbs 8 and verse 17, Those who seek me diligently will find me. And in James chapter 4 and verse 8, Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Number two, go to church regularly. It is important to gather and worship corporately. Psalms 92 and verse 13 says, But those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. Number three, spend time with Christians. This will help you grow in the faith. Proverbs 27 verse 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Finally, number four, avoid certain people. Spending close, intimate time with the wrong people can be very dangerous if they are influencing you instead of you influencing them. Galatians 5, verses 7 through 9 say, You were doing so well until someone made you turn from the faith. And that person was certainly not sent by the one who chose you. A little yeast can change a whole batch of dough. Key principle, don't do life alone. We were created to live in community to help and encourage one another. Proverbs 18 and verse 1 says, A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. Thank you, friend, for listening to this podcast today. You can visit my website and send me your prayer requests and feedback. And also to get more discipleship resources, visit www.nowhope.org. Until next time, I pray that you will stand strong in your faith. Have a great day.